Welcome to Beer Books with me, Daisy Ray. And me, April Berry. This is a flash fiction extravaganza. We tried something a little bit different this time. Yeah, we didn't put a prompt out as words, did we? We put a photograph out. So the photograph was a black and white photograph, a dead tree. There was no foliage or anything. It was all very stark with a swing just hanging off one of the branches over water. And that's it. It was no people, nothing else happening. And whatever anybody took from that picture, they are the stories that we wanted to read. And everybody seems to have taken quite sombre, macabre viewpoint from the picture. Yes. Everything that has been sent in for a submission for this prompt has been darkly emotional. So the three that we've chosen for this episode then, the first one was written by Jerry O'Keefe. April is going to read that one for us, and that's called The Swing of Time. After that one, we have got a story written by Jeanette Taylor Ford called Solace. And rounding us off for the stories for this episode, Helen Dakin has written a story called The Swing. Jeanette's story and Helen's story they will read you themselves, so you'll have a multitude of voices on this episode. So let's kick things off then. Make yourselves comfortable. It's story time. Take it away, April. Will do. The Swing of Time Nora sat in the swing at the bottom of the garden. The view in front of her was breathtaking, but also bleak. A glorious red sky with dark storm clouds approaching, just like her life. She looked back at her father laid out on the living room table. Visions flashed through her mind of her mother laid out on the exact same table, with her father crying, coming out and beginning to push her back and forth on the swing. She could feel all the force of that tragic day return with each swing she took. Then she heard her father's voice as real as if he was speaking to her today. I remember when I built this swing for you, it was your fourth birthday. You were so excited and shouted for joy as you swung back and forth, always telling me to push you faster and faster. Nora felt the adrenaline rush from each swing. I told you to hold on tight, pushing you harder, so you would go faster and higher, which made you scream even louder. She screamed, look at me, Daddy, I'm flying. I was so worried you would fall off, I grabbed the swing. And Nora actually felt the swing stop, and she fell off it, grazing both her knees, as she had done that day. With tear-stained eyes, she ran into her father's arms. He hugged her tightly, saying, I'm so sorry, Princess, I didn't mean to push you so fast. She looked back towards the house, but Mummy wasn't on the table anymore, but stood in front of her. Her mummy comforted her and took her inside and began to clean her up. She then watched as her mummy and daddy had a huge screaming fight. Frightened, she ran into the living room where she now saw her daddy was having a drink and mummy was screaming at him again. That's how you solve all your problems at the bottom of a bottle. Well, this one won't go away at the bottom of this bottle, she said, throwing it against the wall and shattering glass everywhere. Nora, now terrified, ran upstairs to escape it all, only to find Mummy in bed. 
She called Nora over and cuddled her, saying, Mummy is sorry, but she has to go away. So you have to look after Daddy for me. He isn't very well and will need all your love, sweetheart. I will, Mummy, I promise. Running off downstairs into the living room again, Daddy was sat watching some old western on the telly with the villain drinking at the bar. Then the hero comes in and shoots the glass out of his hand, broken glass flying everywhere. But this time the telescreen is shattered from the glass that flew right into it. She had thrown herself onto her daddy's lap, knocking the glass out of his hand into the telescreen. Please get better, daddy. I promised mummy I would look after you. Both hugging and with tear-stained eyes, they looked up at the table where her mummy is now laid out. Nora gets up and kisses her mummy and runs outside to the swing once more. Sitting there reflecting on the images she has been shown with eyes closed and the comfort of swinging back and forth again, she called out to her father once more. Why did you show me all that? Because I wanted you to know the truth. You didn't understand what was going on at the time. You were still my precious little girl. But that last scene on the telly, you became the hero. You knocked the glass out of my hand. And from there on in, we fought the battles together. You kept your promise. I know I fell and grazed my own knees a few times along the way. And it was you that comforted me and helped me back on my feet. More visions flashed through her mind of hiding bottles and helping to cook dinners, making beds together, trips to AA meetings. Then the happiest day of her life came to mind. She opened her eyes at that moment and saw herself in her wedding dress and turned round to see her father in his tuxedo. Push me higher, Daddy, she said with a smile. You don't want to get your dress dirty now, do you? I don't want you falling off again. I won't, Daddy, I promise, and I always keep my promises. Just then she threw herself off the swing and flew through the air. Her wedding dress caught the wind and gave her a soft landing. Filled with all this joy from all these wondrous memories, she turned around to see her daddy still standing there, dressed in the suit he was buried in. He smiled at her and she looked at herself. She wasn't in the wedding dress anymore, but just as she was when she first sat on the swing, he smiled at her and said, Yes, you kept your promises always, but it's time for me to go now. You have your own family to look after. Just then her daughter appeared and said, Hey, mummy, can I have a go on the swing? It's OK, Grandad can push me. Looking straight at her father, she put her hands to her mouth. You can see him too. Of course, he read me a bedtime story last night. Realisation now etched on her face that this wasn't some grief-stricken hallucination or fantasy but was actually happening. She slowly got off the swing, letting her daughter on it, then turned to look at her father lying there in his coffin and then to see him pushing her daughter on the swing for a few minutes. It really is time to look after my family, I promise, she thought as she waved him goodbye and watched him disappear. On the surface, it feels like it's a little bit disjointed, but I spoke to Jerry and we had a chat about it and we were talking about grief and Jerry said that grief is quite disjointed in your 
memories of what you've seen, your grief for that person that you've just lost, the memories that it brings up from other people that you've lost, like she'd lost her mum and her dad. And she was like flitting between memories of her mum being laid out, her dad being laid out, and like going between memories of them when they were both alive and the arguments and everything was just disjointed and a mismatch, which is kind of where your brain is at when you're grieving, which made this story make perfect sense when you read it as a whole. If you wait and keep your judgment till the very end, it makes perfect sense. I think this is actually one of the better stories we've had from Jerry. Yeah, I like it. And and you are right. I mean, the first time I read it, I was a little bit, a little bit, not dubious, but a bit of a lack of understanding of where it was going. And you're right, it's only when you get to the end that it actually all comes together. So that last bit glues the whole rest of the story together. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's quite cleverly written. It's dealing with a subject that is is quite, I suppose, quite dark, is not something that people or everybody believes in. Yeah. But I think it's each person to their own belief with that. Yeah. Didn't we kind of bring this on ourselves, though, by giving out an image that was, first of all, black and white, which is the deeper side of emotion, if you like, plus a stark tree, water, which invokes all kinds of emotions when it's dark, like it is in the image that we gave out for this writing prompt, the swing that's just not moving, completely devoid of people. We just asked for a whole load of emotion to be thrown at us. And I think that's exactly what we got for this. Yeah. I mean, I could have written five or six stories looking at that picture. Yeah. But all of them would have had a dark undercurrent to them. Even the ones that aren't on the podcast for this particular prompt is on the dark side of emotion. Yeah. What have we got next? Anything happier? We shall see. <laughs> I'm Jeanette Taylor Ford, and I've written a flash fiction prompted by the picture of the swinger of the lake, and it's called Solace. On this small shingle area, pretending to be the lake's beach, she stood clutching the flowers and wondering why she'd come. But she'd always known she would. From here sprang the many memories that haunted her in her dreams. This was where she'd seen him last. The old lightning tree, its blackened, sweet, twisted branches, tormented by weather and wood-eating pests, looked delicate and unstable. No one would risk their weight on the old swing now. It had once been a healthy and beautiful tree. Her mind's eye saw her much younger self and Jimmy during the halcyon days of their childhood. They'd spent many hours here, swinging, diving, chattering and playing, a pair of happy little mudlarks. She smiled as she watched those shadowy figures, heard the splashing and laughter and felt the warmth of those days on her face. It seemed to her it was always sunny and warm then. They lived in swimming costumes or old shorts and T-shirts. This had once been a happy place. The summer holidays had seemed long and never-ending. Many holidays merged together in her mind. 
a crack of distant thunder woke her from her dreaming. The swing dangled precariously from the old damaged tree, and she shuddered, watching it as it swayed gently to and fro in the breeze that was becoming stronger, conjuring up impressions of an executed body dangling from a rope. Shaking that picture from her mind, she watched the gathering clouds drawing closer. The water looked dark and ominous, its previous stillness disturbed by the wind. Far from the sparkling water they'd had fun in years ago, it gave her the shivers now because it seemed evil and threatening. She recalled the stories she'd heard that her darling Jimmy had walked into these waters and not come out. Could it really be true? The Jimmy she knew wouldn't have done that, surely. This was now an accursed place. When lightning had struck the tree, it had all changed. The lightning strike had seemed to be an omen, the start of the rotting of this place. Pollution from the nearby factories had killed the lake. The water life died and it became somewhere to avoid. People who'd lived in the village by the lake had moved away, leaving their houses to fall into ruins. It was now a desolate place and she felt herself sinking into depression as she stood and looked at the scene before her. A puzzled frown creased her forehead for a few moments. How had the swing survived when the tree was hit? Then she recalled the last time she and Jimmy had been here. He chuckled and set to hanging a new swing from the old rubbish tree. Can't let the old tree be lonely, he said, and the two had stood holding hands looking at it. She smiled. He was silly, but she'd loved him for it. Then she smiled again, remembering how he grinned as he took her hand and the surprising prison of something she'd never felt before at his touch. Then he kissed her and the two 16-year-olds had a new awareness of each other. The scraggy little boy had grown into an attractive lad. His golden hair sparkled in the sunlight and his blue eyes that once twinkled with fun were mellow when he gazed at her, sending delicious shivers down her spine. That had been the end of the summer, and next thing they knew, Jimmy's dad told him they were moving away. The work had dried up and he had to seek work elsewhere. They'd been devastated. When she came next year for her holidays, he wouldn't be here waiting for her. I'll find you, he said. I promise. Her family didn't come again, and he never found her. Her father took a post abroad, and life took her in a different direction. But she never forgot Jimmy, and when she'd heard about his supposed suicide, she hadn't believed it. When it finally became possible, she'd returned to find answers. It was true. Jimmy had indeed walked into the water and never returned. No one knew why a handsome 20-year-old would do such a thing. He left no note, 
no explanation. Perhaps it hadn't been the lightning that had cursed this place. Perhaps it had been poor Jimmy's tortured soul. Tears fell gently down her face as she hastily murmured words of love to Jimmy. She watched as the bright reds and whites of the roses bobbed along on the small ripples in the water, caused by the storm's breeze. Strangely, they gathered under the old swing, and she heard the sound of childish laughter as the first fat drops of rain fell upon the lake. She drew the hood of her raincoat up to cover her head. The old swing creaked louder as it picked up speed in the wind and the flowers spun and sank. The dark clouds lifted. The storm receded as quickly as it had come and the first watery rays of sunlight touched the lake. As she turned to leave, she looked down at the water's edge. A tiny ripple receded and left on the shingle was a perfect rosebud. She picked it up to find it was white and clean as if it had never been in these murky waters. Thank you, Jimmy, she murmured. A feeling of peace and warmth settled around her heart. The lingering sadness and guilt when she'd thought about Jimmy over these many years finally departed. He knew she'd never forgotten him. Now she could return to her beloved husband at 25 years, to whom she'd married when she was 20. Yes, she knew why Jimmy had walked into the water and had long needed to ask his forgiveness. With the new feeling of calm that had come upon her, she hastened toward the waiting car and the warmth of her understanding husband's arms. Such a beautiful story. It's an emotional one, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes. At first, when I was listening to Jeanette read it out, I was kind of thinking about Semmer Water, which is where I spent a lot of time as a child. And then as she was reading it more and more, I started to have sort of a few more thoughts about life and death. And it was really, really weird what it evoked in me. It was quite an emotive story, wasn't it? It was very emotive, yeah. very, very well written. Yeah. Do you know, even when she doesn't read her own writing out now, if I'm reading something that she's written, I kind of give it her accent when I'm reading it in my head. I do love her accent. I really do. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's quite passionate as well. Yeah, young love, maturing, knowing full well in her heart what had happened and why. Yeah. And having to live with that forever. It made me quite sad because all you can do is think of Jimmy waiting year after year for her to return and she never did. Well, till he got to 20 and then he didn't wait any longer. Yeah. There's that air of somberness through all of them this week. Yeah. Some of them have been quite a lot darker too. So, yeah, these are the lighter ones. <laughs> I know. I can't believe we've picked the ones that are the least macabre. Melancholy. It's, it's, it's like one of the most emotional episodes we've done. It is, you're not wrong. Last but certainly not least, then. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Helen Dakin, and this is a story that um, I wrote uh, for The Swing. 
A huge gulp of water entered my mouth. I felt my whole body going into shock, but somehow I managed to raise my head above the water and spit it out. I tried so hard to fight and not give in to the temptation to pass out. What the hell just happened? Thoughts going through my mind, 100 miles per hour. I was trying to shout, but nothing came out of my mouth but slurred words. Was this it? I was on my own, struggling to survive. The adrenaline was kicking in. I could hear screams from the distance, but couldn't see anything apart from water and debris. Oh my God, a tsunami had hit us. I was fighting for my life. Another wave hit. This time I saw it coming towards me. I took a deep breath and under I went. Flowing down a fast torrent of water, eyes closed, mouth shut, trying not to die. Up I came, another chance to breathe. Down again for what seemed like forever. I came back up floating on my back. My clothes! Where were my clothes? I knew they were ripped, but torn from me completely. I was terrified. The torment was unreal. Then, bang, I hit something hard. My head hurt like a million headaches, all at once. With one final push, I reached out and clung onto a branch. The light was bright as I travelled towards it, alone. It was my soul that was moving forward, getting closer to the light. I couldn't see or feel my body, but oddly, it was still there. Strangely, it felt like it hadn't left me. I still felt intact. All my senses were with me. Everything was suddenly quiet, so peaceful. I felt so happy, not a care in the world, as I slowly got closer and closer to the light. My thoughts were real. I was alive and well. My headache had gone. Shadows appeared. They were very faint at first, but I instantly had an overwhelming feeling of love. I was so happy. Words just cannot describe how wonderful I felt. This was it. I was in the presence of something so powerful and calm. It was God. He reached out and held my hands and smiled. I could see figures in the shadows behind coming towards me. God smiled and gently said, go back. This is not your time. You have a life to live, more work to do. I will be with you every step of the way. Close your eyes and I will send you back in peace. I will call you back home when it's your time. I could hear running water. Where was this coming from? I eventually came round, cold, wet, confused, feeling helpless. My mind was spinning and the tsunami had stopped. Everything was quiet as my eyes slowly focused on the only thing in my vision. I saw a swing. It was tied with rope onto an overhanging branch from a tree with the calm water running underneath it. It was as if nothing had happened. But earth stood still. As I realised, this was it. My moment for ultimate survival. Thank you. Did that sound okay? I felt like I was on Jack and Ori. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love that. I like it. <laughs> yeah.
I can't believe that you were not wanting to read it yourself. You did it exceptionally well. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's it's all from my grandma, you know. Thank you, grandma. Because she was a big, big writer. My grandma was. Yeah. My grandma, when she died in 1997, had a two-page spread on her in the Derby Evening Telegraph. And I've still got it to this day. Um, because my grandma was quite a religious, well, she was a religious lady, um, a Methodist. And my grandma would always look at the Telegraph newspaper. And if she saw anybody in dire straits of um, no food or um, anything like that, she would write letters to them from all over the UK or all over the world. And she'd write letters and she wrote over a thousand letters to people in need um, giving them like Christian support, if you know what I mean, and telling them to have faith and everything will work out. And it wasn't just that. I mean, she was always on Radio Derby and stuff like that, giving, you know, um, what was it, Monday morning, um, you know, peace from the Bible sort of thing. She always used to do that as well. So um, I think from listening to her and the way she told me stories is probably where I've got that from. Okay. Yeah, I was on a typewriter at five years old, Daisy. <laughs> I wasn't really typing anything. I was just doing the letters. But my God, I was typing as far as I was concerned. So, yeah, she was a big writer and she used to write a lot of things and get put in books and stuff. So it's obviously passed down. But thank you. Yeah. So you went from a dead, still, quiet, dark photo to a full-on tsunami. Where did that come from? Yeah. You know what? Um, I saw the photograph. And straight away, Daisy, that that came into my head. I knew what that story was going to be about. And I think as well, um, perhaps it's just a skill that I've got. I've written a lot of poetry in the past and my poetry has been published. Yeah. And a lot of the poetry comes from either a title or a picture. And I can just look at the picture and, and an idea just comes into my head and I flow with it and I keep editing it until it's correct. So that's where it comes from. Fantastic. I'm pleased that you wrote one for us. Thank you. <laughs> I'm chuffed a bit. It's nice having a, a different boss. We've <laughs> 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 done, done reverse roles. Yeah, yeah, temporarily. <laughs> no, it's been lovely. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. We are very welcome. So thank you very much for everybody who've submitted and the stories for this week. We've had three cracking stories that we've read out on the podcast. Next week, we are back to reviewing indie authors. And I believe that we have got a book by Rebecca L. Marsh called Remember the Butterfly that both Daisy and I are in the process of reading at the moment. And we will be interviewing Rebecca on the podcast. Can't wait for you all to meet her and to learn all about the new book. And until then, take care of each other. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk.